Today is May 24th, 2022. Leo Finance Weekly Wednesday Show or with our founder extraordinaire, Cal, myself, and Mitch the Cat, Scaredy Cat, grilling them. <laughs> <laughs> Holding the feet to the fire. Uh, so, Cal, I know you, there was like a few things you wanted to hit, uh, but just so we get out of the way, when all the things? Soon. Okay. So we got that. I have, uh, I don't know if you would call them dreams or nightmares, but all of my dreams and nightmares are about soons and whens. Yeah. Oh, we should unmute in the Discord just so people can hear us. Oh, good idea. Um, yeah, I just have a few. Uh, so, kind of going forward with, with the AMAs, I want to do, and I'm just dropping these announcements. I want to do like a uh, quick, weekly re like we were doing the weekly dev uh updates before and and that's going to kind of get included in in what i want to start doing with the uh amas when we first start them every week um which is just kind of like a recap of of uh not only the develop uh development updates but also the you know uh our progress on on kpis and and uh you know just general things happening in in the leoverse and uh I think I think it would be good to kind of cover everything that happens each week because there's kind of a lot um, outside of just development. Um, there's a lot happening, you know, with the community and um, with with everything uh, that that everybody's doing. Because we're all that's a, that's the cool thing about Web three is that we're all have a vested stake in in what's happening. So there's a lot of people doing doing cool things. Um, so so just kind of a like the the main focus right now. Um, on the DeFi side is X Polycup governance. So if you saw the post about, I think it was two days ago, um, we launched the first yield, or it was four days ago, the first yield vote for um, the X Polycup DAO. Um, and essentially what that means is um, every, anyone who holds X Polycup now can vote on where yield is allocated uh, on the platform. So that's important for a lot of reasons. Um, Obviously, the biggest one being utility for for holding Polycub and buying it and staking it. Uh, that creates, you know, a, a pretty pretty good utility and use case for for holding a lot of X Polycub. Which is that if you're an LP in, say, the PHPD USDC vault and um, you've seen your yield drop to 24 percent, then you're going to want that yield to go up, and uh, you know that means that you have a reason to buy some X Polycub and and uh, essentially vote for that vault to, to gain more of the yield. Um, Cause essentially there's a fixed amount of yield on the platform. And then the X Polycub DAO will direct that yield um, to any of those vaults. So um, I think it's gonna get, I think it's gonna get interesting after we get this first governance vote, people see how it works and then we kind of progress from there. And uh, you know, obviously people fight for yield over, over the different vaults. Um, so yeah, my that... BTC... right. go ahead. I was just going to say, how when is that vote ending? I you said on the twenty fifth, sometime. Um, three days. I I think three days from now, like the twenty seventh. Oh. Um, yeah. So seven days on that one. I gotta get around to throwing out my vote. As long <laughs> as you vote for HBD. Yeah, so I have a feeling that, that the ball play is going to gain a lot of yield. Uh, that's <laughs> the play that I want. So it's... I don't really have. I think I have like three. Four hundred dollars total in that, just because you know, lack of liquid HVD. Yeah, 
Yeah, HPD is kind of at a critical point given that it's so APR is twenty five percent right now. On chain is twenty percent. Mm. You know, we need a little mm. bit more juice there to make that attractive. We do. That makes sense. Yeah, I did look at the spread between uh, SPS. So I was like, all right, we're we're good 25, 30 percentage points higher still. Yeah. But that could easily change. Yeah. I mean, the on-chain or the, I mean, the native staking for SPS is 60%. So pretty, pretty solid. Uh, well, they so. have their node sales going on tomorrow. So people are buying up vouchers and things, which are driving prices upward, except for today, because everything's down today. Um. Yes. Yeah, so if, if anyone doesn't know, the way that the SPS, the PSPS system works is that um, anyone who wraps, basically you're wrapping SPS in the PSPS, and then a portion of that SPS that's held by the Oracle is staked on Splinterland. So um, essentially the Polycub DAO is earning 60% APR on half of the SPS that it, that it holds, which is uh, obviously nice. So these V2 vaults are, are super interesting just because they have so many different value accrual methods. And that's kind of the, the point that we've been hammering home in the, uh, in the posts on Leo Finance. Um, basically just talking about how um, the, those vaults are generating you know, on-chain yield. So in, in PHPD, obviously it's staking HPD on-chain for 20%. Um, for Hive, it's staking the Hive power and earning, I forgot what Hive curation yield is right now. It's like 10 to 12%. Um, and then for SPS, it's staking it. And right now it's like 60%. So, um, all of that yield essentially gets, gets driven back into Polycub. Um, and then you've got bridge wrapping fees, um, the governance voting, um, and, uh, arbitrage. Um, and then for those, the P hive and the PSPS vaults, they're paired with Polycub. So they're, they're generating deeper liquidity for Polycub trading, which is, uh, vital, um, so liquidity for liquidity for polycup trading has actually increased a lot since, um, you know, it, on a percentage basis um, since the launch of the P Hive and the PSPS vaults. Because um, I think before those vaults, we had like two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars in liquidity. I think for polycup, and uh, right now we've got. Let's see. Now we've got 378,000. So um, basically a hundred thousand dollar increase in, in liquidity uh, from those two vaults and uh, and they're growing. Our, our goal for, I put this in the last post, our goal for May is to the end of May. So we got like a week left um, is to get hundred K in P hive, hundred K in PSPS and 500 K in PHBD. So um PHBD has really slowed down since the yield dropped. Right now it's like 25% APR. So I have a feeling once this governance vote goes through and, and that yield gets driven up, um, we'll, we'll see a lot of capital move into it. What was the uh, end date for the current governance vote again? 27th. Gotcha. And it's like the, well, it depends on your time zone, obviously. But. Well, yeah, whatever I'm putting this in. I'm just doing, I'm doing my little uh, running commentary of the when, when, when soon show recap. <laughs> so basically seven days from the post going live. Going live. Right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that was uh, yeah, three days from there. And how are we looking on that? Who's who's in the lead? Where are we gonna see the yield assigned? And when UI? 
UI soon. That's the key um, to the governor's voting when you are. Yeah. Because the manual yeah. thing is, I mean, it works, but it's hard. Right. It's like, got a copy. Yeah. Do I have the right number of zeros in there? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to get that UI up soon. One of the, one of the big reasons for the, for waiting on the UI is that we want to see which governance structure to use. So, um, you know, a big reason for that is showing, um, is basically using the system first on the back end, kind of refining it. Um, yeah, having live numbers would definitely impact decision-making. Um, I did like oh, yeah. last governance vote that people like One Alpha and, and uh, I think it was Roly Rob uh, were putting up posts and talking about the governance vote, which ones they supported and how much uh, X Polycub was, was basically backing the other ones. Um, and, and kind of on that note, the Leo Growth, which is uh, run by a Nomad Soul, is doing a $500 prize for um, Provide Liquidity Week. So basically, um, it's, it's like a raffle that he's running where if you deposit liquidity into any of the three V2 vaults, so PHBD, PHive, and PSPS, um, every 25, I think it's every $25 you deposit, you get one raffle entry and five winners will get a hundred dollars each. So, um, okay. essentially just an extra little incentive for providing liquidity. Um, it's kind of inspired, I think by the, uh, hive power up day. So kind of a similar competition that I think we'll do pretty regularly. Um, just to, just to kind of keep, keep yield and, uh, and assets kind of flowing through the platform. But yeah, if, if you didn't see that, then um, I don't know how I don't know when it ends, but it's still ongoing. He just posted it yesterday, so definitely provide some liquidity. Get yourself some raffle tickets. Now, does that do? Does the liquidity I already provided does that count? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know. He's. I would assume it, so. no. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would assume no because it's it's kind of more of an ongoing thing where it's like okay, if you provided a hundred dollars in liquidity this week, you get four raffle entries for this week. Yeah, my three BTC is saying half. Oh, it does. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. There's, a of, there's a lot of text in this post, so I can scan <laughs> it quickly. Um, but yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, just a little fun thing to get some liquidity driven into it. Um, Outside of that, we uh, we have the, sorry, I'm just reading chat. Outside of that, we're working on the Leo Mobile uh, V1 release. So um, V1 is ready officially. Um, and now we're looking for an app store design. So uh, we released a competition to basically create a mock-up for uh, what the app store should look like um, for Leo Mobile. And, uh, you know, that it kind of looks like this. Um, and uh, effing guru um, submitted his entry and I, I really like it. Um, but there's still, you know, a few days left for, for that competition. So if anyone wants to, wants to make a mock-up for what Leo mobile should look like, then, then definitely jump into it. Um, and also effing guru said in his post that, um, if you want to provide some feedback basically on the text that he used and 
and uh, you know everything in the in, in his mockups, then uh, you know leave a comment on his post and he'll he'll update stuff. Got a little um, blurry. Yeah, camera needed to refocus. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about Leo Mobile V1. I think it's I think it's really going to be that kind of uh, killer onboarding feature that we've been looking for. Um, so like everything, everything that we've worked on for onboarding has really led up to Leo mobile, which is, you know, the Leo infra signups and adding, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter light accounts and Facebook light accounts, um, and making it super easy to basically log in and, and use the platform, um, which has really never existed for, for hive in, in any way, shape or form before. Um, so, you know, the, the goal is, and I've talked about this before, the goal is that you would log in. Um, you, you would log in in under 30 seconds and be able to comment or create a post. Um, and so Leo Desktop is really heavily focused toward um, the content creator experience and Leo Mobile is going to be tailored towards the content consumer uh, focus. And, um, you know, the cool thing about Leo Mobile is that we can, we can imagine a future where, um, you know, you're sitting, at, you're sitting at dinner or something and you're talking about Web3 and, and, you know, how you're blogging and earning and, creating content and earning and curating content and earning. And then you just kind of whip out your phone and you have a QR code and someone can scan it and then download Leo mobile. And in, in, you know, less than 30 seconds, they could be, they could be logged into web three. Um, and as soon as V1 goes live in the app stores, we're going to be there. So, um, you know, all that technology is already built into Leo mobile. Now it's just about getting it into the app stores. Um, so, so it's exciting. So, once once it's live in the app store that means anybody with an android anybody with an iphone can can log in they'll hit the app they'll say sign up with facebook or, or twitter pick a name and then they're there exactly right? okay. yep so uh that sounds great <laughs> how do we let people know about it how do we let people know about it yeah. that's the that's the eternal question um, and, uh, yeah, so, so I think, you know, that comes in a lot of different forms, but having it in the app store is, is really the key to getting started with that. Then you got to move into things like, you know, traditional marketing, um, you know, organic marketing. So, you know, one of the big ways I think is, is through the TikTok, which is at like 5,000 followers now, which is, um, obviously a very mobile tailored crowd. Um, and you can just kind of imagine, you know, onboarding a few hundred people a month through TikTok or a couple thousand people sponsoring some TikTok influencers. And, and uh, you know, the, the key is to have that, that user experience in place where it's super easy to, to log in and start doing stuff, which does not exist right now. Um, so so we've, we've desperately needed this. Um, and I, I think the V1, I think the V1 release is what kind of changes everything on that front. Yeah, um, that'd be good, you know. So I remember, you know, back when we were talking more heavily about Project Blank, you know, your your goal there was crypto Twitter. So you're you're imagining a different audience for um, for Leo Mobile. Yeah, Leo Mobile is you know that kind of original vision of web three seeking alpha. So, you know, when you, when you log, I essentially what Leo mobile should be is 
when you want finance news or you want to, you know, engage in, in finance discussions, that's where you go. You, you open Leo Mobile and you start reading content and uh, start start commenting. And obviously you're getting notifications, um, you know, about different things. And one thing I want to build with the notifications is something where it, it basically gives you tailored content notifications. So it says, you know, a post was just created about, um, you know, ThorChain and, and you in the past, you've read a lot of content about ThorChain, so it knows that you want to read that content. And then it says, you know, kind of like how Apple News works, uh, for example, where it just kind of shows you like a random news story based on your news history. Um, I, I want to have that for Leo Mobile so that it kind of keeps people coming back into the app. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit like that where we can increase the numbers, number of readers and uh, commenters on on Leo Finance in general. Um, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of interesting that we've got such a high ratio of content creators and such a low ratio of, of content consumers. So Leo mobile really flips that on its head and, and says, okay, now we're targeting content consumers. Um, and then with, with project blank, I think it is going to target, uh, it's obviously going to target a much broader audience. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's just going to be crypto Twitter, but I do think it's going to be largely targeted at crypto Twitter, especially in the beginning. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody is kind of waiting for, for something like Project Blank. And I'm not just talking about people on Leo and Hive who always ask when, but I'm just talking about the, the broader Twitter user base. Um, I, th I think it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be good. But, but the, you know, getting Leo mobile to this V1 stage is critical. It's, it's on the critical path for Project Blank. So that's why there's so much focus on, on Leo mobile. Uh, we got a bunch of, well, it's kind of all one question, but Rolly Rob is asking about bridges. Uh, what's your, what's your view of the current state of reliability of the WLEO bridges? What's being done to make them more, more dependable and any progress on a stoplight UI, you know, so you know, the various stages are working, not working, things in progress, all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, a few things. So Leo bridge is extremely reliable compared to, you know, how it started. If you remember how it started, it was like nine out of 10 wraps were failed. Um, now it's more like one out of 10 wraps are failed. Um, and, and in the majority of cases, it is uh, a node issue. So it's not just, you know, there is a funny saying in crypto, which is that any problem is a node problem. Um, and uh, in, the, in the case of bridges, it actually usually is a node problem. Um, so that's usually either a hive node or a polygon node. Um, can, can you, you know, define what that actually means? Yeah. So typically, you know, the, the most common issue is that um, with these nodes, you are essentially trying to push through a transaction and the node is on a temporary outage, which means that it's not producing that block. Uh, and then it basically goes to, if you, if you don't auto switch to another node, the transaction isn't picked up by the blockchain. So it's as if the transaction didn't happen. Um, and so with, with a bridge, what's happening is you're broadcasting a transaction on one blockchain and that transaction is then being read by an Oracle and then broadcasting another transaction on another blockchain. If that Oracle is interacting with a node, say, say that you're moving something from Hive to Polygon, if on Hive, the node works, so the Hive node picks up your transaction, then you have successfully sent, say, 100 Leo. The Oracle's job then is to take that transaction that it's reading from the Hive blockchain and say, okay, 
you've transferred in 100 Leo. Now we're going to output 100 Leo minus fees um, on Polygon. So the Oracle broadcasts a transaction to Polygon, um, basically saying, you know, send X amount of Leo, uh, P Leo to, you know, the, the indicated account by the original transaction on the high blockchain. When, that, when the bridge sends that transaction, if the Polygon node doesn't read the transaction for whatever outage reason, um, then the, the transaction isn't broadcast on Polygon. But the Oracle thinks that the transaction was broadcasted or um, it, it returns an immediate error and sometimes it auto refunds. The thing about, and, and a lot of people have asked, why not just make it auto refund more reliably? Um, which is something that we've continuously worked on the problem with that is you have to be extremely careful with double spending, um, because if you it, basically if you implement it poorly, you could you could create an issue where uh, when someone bridges an asset and it fails, it would return it and then auto refund. Um, you know, it'll it'll essentially double spend the refund, um, and that has happened. You know, in the early stages of the bridge when we tried to do, uh, where essentially we tried to make everything auto refunded. So if it didn't go through on on Polygon or, or Binance Smart Chain or Ethereum, it would just auto refund immediately. Um, but obviously we had to add a bunch of limitations to that to avoid the double spending problem. Um, so the way it works right now is that it'll try to auto refund for about eight hours. Um, and, uh, and if that doesn't work, then we have to manually refund it. Um, and and it's, it's essentially a very defensive system where it's um, it, its default mode is to not auto refund it just to avoid double spending. So um, in terms of reliability, like if you, if you wrap to Binance Smart Chain, there's almost no issues. Like if you look at tech support, um, almost all the issues are, are with Polygon. And that's, that's due to, I, I mean, if you've used Polygon, you know how, how fun it can be to, to broadcast transactions. So just imagine that, but on a, on a much larger scale, because you've got hundreds of transactions being conducted every couple of days. And, and yeah, like Nifty Phil is saying, you know, Polygon nodes are pretty awful. Um, so one thing we're working on right now is basically this node switcher where it'll try to broadcast it once. It'll read the Polygon network to see if it broadcasted. And if it didn't broadcast it, it'll try broadcasting it through another node. Um, that is a lot easier said than done though. So. That's the, uh, that is the current state of bridges. And then on, on, in terms of the UI, I do want to build into the new Leo bridge swap UI. There's going to be a, another section for, you know, conversions across, you know, like, um, you know, PHBD, PLEO, uh, PHIVE and others. Um, and, uh, and I do want to add a sort of status indicator. We've talked about this a couple of times where, it's basically just going to say that the last transaction on the bridge was successful. Um, so it's going to have like a green light. If the last transaction on the bridge is still waiting, then it's going to have a yellow light. If the last transaction failed, then it'll have a red light. Um, and that's a pretty, that's a relatively simple thing to add. Um, the, the, the issue with that is that with these node problems, one transaction and another transaction can go, what, like one transaction could fail. And then five minutes later, another transaction could be successful. And then five minutes later, another transaction could, could fail. Um, and there's really no rhyme or reason to that. So, so really that indicator will just tell you if the last transaction failed, which doesn't necessarily mean that yours will. Um, so it, it's better than having no information, but it's not completely reliable. Because you could see that green light and then send your transaction. You could be the one that gets the failed transaction. So that all I'm saying is that 
it's a nice to have, but I don't think it's really going to fix that problem. The, the, the solution to that problem is an auto node switcher that continues to retry the transaction, um, does it in a way that, that won't double spend. Well, okay. I understand what you're saying. What I thought was more important than, you know, status of the last, uh, bridge was, you know, an actual live update of my particular transaction. So I sent, it's been received, broadcasting, it's been picked up by Polygon, it's now in my wallet. You know, having yeah. that, um, having that, uh, you know, updated in in on the bridge, you know, as things progress. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, the the big question, you know, that you have now is like, I send my stuff, and I have no idea what's going on. Now, you know, I happen to to know enough. I can look at the different blockchains, and I can see. You know, if the if the uh, if there's activity going on, um, but uh, but obviously that's you know an advanced user and way more work than we should have to do. <laughs> so yeah, that that version of the UI is in the universe, as they say. Okay. Um, but yeah, it will show you that live kind of like uh, if you've ever used the uh, the any swap, uh, the multi chain swapping. Um, I do really like the way that they do that, which is basically where you send a transaction. It says your trans exactly what you're saying. It says your transaction has left the Hive network. It's been received by the by the bridge, um, and then you know within it says it says less than a minute remaining or something, and then it says um, moving moving funds on Polygon and, and stuff like that. So that that is kind of where the where the bridges are heading in the long run. So. Just to recap correctly, you said it's currently right now, it, it retries a transaction? It will, no, it will kick back the trans, it doesn't retry transactions right now. Oh, okay. It will kick, it'll, it'll try to auto refund you if it can't read the transaction on Polygon, which gotcha. isn't fully reliable because we have a, a big limitation in there to prevent double spends where yeah. we, we don't want like, for example, it might try to broadcast a bridge transaction to Polygon, and it could take three minutes for that transaction to confirm. But if the bridge tries to reach, or if it, if the bridge tries to auto refund it within that three minute period of time, it could auto refund it and then also still confirm later on Polygon. So we don't yeah. want that to happen. So right now, it's very conservative. Um, what I what I want was to that build the thing you it. said? Did you say What's you said that? something about eight hours at some point? Right. So the eight hours thing is that it, it will essentially wait eight hours to see if the transaction confirms um, before it will, before gotcha. it will auto refund you. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, I think I've had transactions that like, why, you know, why isn't this thing confirming? I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go to bed. And then I'll wake up in the morning and be like, oh, it's done. Who knows how many <laughs> hours later? Like yeah. the one, one of the rare times I forget to go aggressive on gas fees uh, on Polygon. Yeah, I've had that happen a time or two, but usually it's within a few minutes. No, I've had, well, yeah, I think all the ones that went really long ended up, uh, I either ended up canceling or they ended up failing. Yeah. And Nifty Phil is saying, I promise tech support isn't holding your funds hostage. <laughs> People get get hot, you know? Nifty, Nifty yeah. Phil has all your funds. <laughs> So do get hot uh, yeah, if anyone missed it, if anyone missed it, we uh, brought on Nifty Phil. He's officially a Leo team member now, um, and he is in charge of tech support. So you can uh, you can 
point yeah. point your weapons at him instead of me. The most thankless job. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. it is. So we owe I a hope, big thanks. I hope you're paying him well. You know, I don't know. Uh, I certainly wouldn't do the job. Well, with the price of Leo down at eight cents, that pay might be a little less than it used to be. <laughs> when, when, when one dollar again? Yeah, you know, I was looking at the market cap of Leo actually, um, and I was talking to Addicted too. That you know, when you look at the market cap of Leo, and then you know, also Cub and Polycub, the the market caps have just gotten to like these these beaten lows, which is kind of crazy. Um, so the like the the Leo market cap, for example, is $879,000, which is just wild that it's that low. Looks uh, like probably comes just under a million, nine fifty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was talking to Addicted about that, and it's just kind of, you know, that that's the, uh, and I, I read this interesting article earlier today, too, that, um, you know, that basically what's happening right now is kind of similar to, the COVID 2020 liquidity crisis where, you know, everyone's fleeing into cash and uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of fear out there. Everything's everything just kind of changed overnight, which is, which is uh, interesting. So how's that to ask me what's in the basket for code? Yeah. So, so we put out this, oh, go ahead. Well, let me ask a more specific question. What features on Polycub have you determined are a go for Cub when you do an update? Um, the multi-token bridge is going to be at the core of it. So that's going to be, you know, BHBD, Beehive, um, and, and the other wrapped bridge tokens that we start to launch. Um, so that's kind of at the core of it. Because I think what we've realized with, with Polycub is that having all these different methods of value accrual is the future of, you know, creating a sustainable yield platform. Um, so Cub is going to migrate intensely towards this V2 vault vision, and it's going to do it kind of in an overnight type of way where we release all the V2 vaults at once, and then yield dynamics on Cub shift to, to focus heavily on those V2 vaults. Um, and then, um, so that so that's going to be like the core, the big one. Um, the other, the other main feature is going to be that that X governance contract and and allowing cub holders to determine which vaults should get the most yield. So that's that's the next one. Um, obviously, we're battle testing that on Polycub right now with with you know literally the first yield vault or the yield vote going live. Um, and uh, you know something interesting. So my pre BTC just asked. Um, um, same as Polycub, um, accumulate POL and use yield to buy back and burn Cub. So Polycub accumulates, Polycub accumulates assets into POL, and that POL is used to buy Polycub and distribute it as long-term yield because Polycub's yield eventually runs out. So there's only 7.2 million Polycub that will ever exist, um, and we're already at like six million now. So. Um, you know, when that runs out, then it's going to be have, it's going to be entirely reliant on on the buyback of Polycub and the distribution of it as LP incentives um, for Cub, and this is probably going to have to get put to some sort of governance vote. Um, right now, the way that Cub works is that it just automatically burns Cub with any management fees that are accrued uh, on the platform. Uh, with these V2 vaults, there's obviously a lot more value that's going to get accrued. So the question is, do we keep that model of burning cub automatically, or do we redistribute cub? Um, 
and I, I could see it going, I could see it really going either way. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out on Polycub, but having Cub kind of on its own little, um, um, you know, setup of, of the burns might be kind of an interesting contrast with Polycub doing it in a redistribution. Um, so, so it's, it's to be determined whether or not that is going to accumulate or, or just buy back and burn automatically, which would be pretty, pretty hefty buybacks on Cub. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Cubs, Cubs always lived on that buyback and burn model, but well, yeah, mean I mean, it always will. You know, at least so. Given how they are now, the uh, it makes sense for Polycup to do the redistribution because the emissions are getting cut you right. know, asymptotically to to zero. But on Cub, you know, it's just one per block, and that's continuing. Yep. So I think that makes more sense to keep that as a burn. Um, so yeah, I mean, unless I mean, if if I were voting, I would say unless the emission schedule gets changed on Cub, then keep it as a burn. Right. Yeah, that's what I. That's that's where I'm thinking too. So, um, but yeah, anything is subject to governance voting though. So it's in the hands of the stakeholders, <laughs> which is all cat for Cub. <laughs> <laughs> when when all these things on Cub. That'll be my question until it happens. Nothing else matters at this point for me. I pigeonholed myself. <laughs> soon. The answer is soon. 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 I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back on the when soon show in like two months. <laughs> I'll just skip. I'll skip all the wins. <laughs> all right. So um, I guess last question about the, the ex polycub governance vote that we have going on right now. So it closes on the whatever twenty seventh, um, and then how quickly do we get the new uh, distribution of yield? Uh, twenty four hours. So it just it, it gets queued into the uh, it gets queued in the time lock, and that's twenty four hours. So then it, it goes through. All right. So twenty eighth, maybe 29th, depending on time zone, we should see the new numbers on polycub and hopefully my farm yield goes up. <laughs> yeah i have a feeling that phbd vault is gonna get radically improved and i want to see it happen too because uh i think it's um i i think that phbd vault is is extremely valuable for for polycub i mean if you look at how much it's generating it's it's pretty crazy Okay, so one other question. I know I said last one. Uh, the if if I have so I have X Poly Club, I vote for two pools, and it's always the last two that you vote for because it's right. it'll swap out your. If you do a third, it'll drop the first, and it'll be two or three, whatever those are. Yep. Um, if I vote for two pools, does that cut my relative vote for each of them in half, or do I get the full credit of my X Poly Club? Your, your vote is always split in half. So if you only vote for one, then you essentially are voting with half your ex polycub stake. So it, it's beneficial to you to vote for two. Okay, um, so there's no advantage to only voting for one. Or right, two. no advantage, yeah. All right, so I need everybody out there to vote for uh, SPS and HPD. <laughs> there it is, I was waiting for the SPS. I was just like, When's it coming? Neil, shilling, I love it. 
Okay, I'm just, I'm just letting the people know what they should do. Not I gotta look. <laughs> I gotta look at the yields of all the eligibles and make my decisions. The HBD does make sense for, especially, you know, mainly for even just benefit of the platform on a whole. Yeah, there's a. Uh, I mean, it's the biggest farm at the moment by liquidity by, by a factor of two and a half. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, so I assume that'll get some like votes. I mean, like I said, I don't have much in there, so it doesn't benefit me huge, but it definitely benefits the platform. So one of my votes may go that direction. Since I'm such a selfless cat, <laughs> just take them off of the team all the time. Yeah. I got to see what else uh, I'll go after, though. Yeah. I mean, I keep I, adding to SPS as my because uh, I'm powering down because I had it staked, but um, right now there's still a big enough spread between what I can get on Splinterlands, so I'm not sweating yeah. that one as much. Yeah, and you know the PSPS Polycup pool is liquid, unlike the stake, which is a four-week unstake. Yes. So yeah, that's one thing that um, you know I think is underrated on these on these vaults, um, especially for you know, PSPS and P-Hive, which is that, you know, PSPS has a 28 day unstaking period. P-Hive or Hive has a, has a uh, 13 week power down. So, um, you know, you can provide, especially with the P-Hive vault, I'm actually very surprised that there isn't more liquidity in there because it's paying 63% APR right now. Um, on chain, you could probably get about 10 to 12% if you're good at curating. Um, so, so it's like, you know, you can stake it on chain and have it illiquid for 13 weeks and make 10% APR, or you can stake it on Polycub and have it fully, fully liquid and earn six times that. So it's, uh, it's pretty surprising to me that people aren't deploying Hive into that pool. I do think there's a general sentiment issue with Polycub that, and, and that's the reason why is that people don't want to pair it against Polycub because they're unclear about the future price. Um, which is one thing I talked to addicted about, which is, you know, the market cap for the market cap is, you know, at basically all time lows for, for everything, uh, for Leo, Polycub and Cub. Um, so he sees it as like a no risk bet. Uh, I, I think obviously there's risk to everything, but I also see it as like a low risk bet. No, nope, um, that's it. You call the bottom. Bottom has been called. <laughs> Load up. Actually, that's pretty scary because I don't think we're at any kind of bottom. So if market caps are already at lows, um, that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, well, you know, any kind of uh, any kind of LP where you have a, like a, a micro cap against a larger coin, like you know, we've got Polycup Weave, um, it's going to follow the trend of the larger coin. Hundred percent absent absent other alpha generating events. So. If Ethereum continues to drop, then everything else is going to continue to drop as well. Uh, so basically, the reality is everyone needs to just go hibernate for a couple of years because we got a hot minute before the next Bitcoin have happening event. So let's do it. Sleepy time. <laughs> that sounds like a great segue into our thoughts on the broader markets. So um Stocks have been ripping lower. We're down like 2% today um, and uh, basically gave back all the gains from, from uh, Monday. Um, and, uh, and crypto is kind of unchanged today. Uh, Bitcoin's up half a percent. So 
I was reading, I was reading a, a newsletter this morning and uh, there were a lot of people saying, and I think Mitch, you're one of them, that the Fed was going to walk back their rate hikes uh, in September um, before the midterms. And uh, I was reading a newsletter where they had previously written the same thing. Fed is going to walk back rate hikes in September. And they, they copy and pasted that title, but they X'd out September and put July. Uh, oh, wow. That's so, impressive. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious what, what you guys think about that and, wow. and its effects on the market. Personally, that would suck because of course, like I'm doing real estate loans at like the peak of interest rates. Um, cause we could see a pullback if, uh, we go back to a loose policy, but, uh, I, I'm just staying with my thesis about September, September, October, July would be very surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a question of how much pain can the Fed tolerate versus how much long term damage are they willing to endure with the inflation numbers being what they are, right? So we're we're over eight percent in official numbers, and I don't know, I haven't looked at shadow stats lately. What do they have? Uh, also, I think a lot of it's dictated on inflation too, and I don't know. Uh, did you see? Does already talk about where they're saying like? like some uh, uh, inflationary pressures have alleviated and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, if by some magic, the inflation numbers, you know, start turning around the correct way, which I'd be amazed, um, that would give them kind of the loophole they need. That's true. Um, so I'm looking at, you know, you have to pay for the good data on shadow stats, but from their chart, it looks like they have, their number at like 12%. That's the unofficial, like if you calculated inflation the way they used to going back to, what was it, 1990, looks like. Um, then we're at 12%. If you use the 1980 methodology, we're up to like 17%. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's obviously painful for, for people and they don't want to see that. So, <laughs> so, you know, if 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 you let if you're a central banker and you let inflation run for, you know, unchecked, then you end up destroying the currency, uh, and people won't want to hold it if it doesn't retain uh, a, a reasonable amount of purchasing power. Crypto for the win. <laughs> so so you got that on one side, and then on the other side, you got all your buddies who run the banks, uh, screaming at you saying, "Hey, you know, our portfolios are dropping. Stop it." <laughs> That might be the saving grace because I do. Which of those win? I do have the theory of they're basically just at this point going to burn the dollar to the ground and then launch a digital currency. Uh, I don't. I don't think you need the one to get the other. I think you're going to launch true, the true. either way. You know, all the uh, all the muckety mucks are in Davos right now talking about CBDCs and things. Yeah. Oh, it's a matter of time. It's not. It's not if. It's just when that gets launched. So I'm going to guess that their answer to that would be soon. <laughs> I mean, why would they not? I mean, that gives them more oversight, more control. And that's why yeah. Bitcoin and other cryptos are evil because they can't track and control. Yeah. Well, you know, the, um, I, I still maintain my position that CBDCs are the gateway to crypto for the masses. I do uh, agree with that. They just don't realize they'll be signing their own you know, funeral death warrant, whatever. 
because it's the same experience, right? If you're on your phone, you swipe, you put in your code, you shop, you do whatever. You can do that with Bitcoin, or you can do that with, you know, central bank US dollar, Bitcoin, you know, whatever. So it's like, oh, I can do this and not subject myself to the inflation and then the controls and the freezing and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, I'll do the other one. But, uh, but yeah, from from end of March, we are down 15% on the, on the S&P, which is, has not been that long. <laughs> You know, a month and a half. Yeah, and what are we down for the year? We're down like what, like twenty five percent? Let's see. Grab a little pricing thing. And that was a complete guesstimate. I think you're pretty close, actually. I know tech stocks have gotten absolutely beaten. Like, yeah, and for S and P, it's eighteen percent year to date. And for the Qs, just tech heavy. Down. Uh, 30%. Yeah, which makes sense because the darling fang stocks that led the market for like the last five plus years have gotten shellacked. Yep. It's like 40% plus on uh, a lot of them. Yep. Yeah. So the, so the tech stocks, tech sector is officially in bear market territory. And um, we'll see how they go. So, you know, the when do they when do they pull back is it gonna be july's in september i don't know i i tend to think uh, let's see we get we get a we get a june and a july meeting i don't know what the schedule before but, uh, yeah i think it's uh late june early july like there was a little bit of a bigger gap from between the uh actually oh wait no or is it actually i forgot already yeah, so there's June 15th and July 27th, and then September 21st. Oh, yeah, that's where weeks. the gap is between July and September. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yeah, I think they're going to stay with the close meetings. I think they're going to raise in June, raise in July. Then they have a month and a half to let things play out. Well, more than a month and a half. Yeah, right about two months. That'd be hilarious if it works out that way because, I mean, in the end, that's just really like a gut feeling, random theory that, you know, I don't know how much you thought, how much thought you put into it. But for me, it was more so just my gut because we were talking about that. I think, I think as early as late last year, we were talking about that. Yeah. When they you first know, I, talked about they were going to raise. Yeah. Yeah. I've been saying for a while, two to three hikes before the pain gets too much. All right. So we're two in. So if they raise in June, then yeah, maybe they balk in July then. Just like that other, uh, that article was saying. But if you look at, uh, if you look at Harry Dent, uh, so he's. Oh goodness, guy. Harry Dent. So he's, he's a big believer in the cycles of things, cycles of yes, life, he is. cycles and all this kind of stuff. So one of the things he looks at though is stock market performance compared to uh, presidential election cycles. Um, with the same thesis that Kat was talking about, where it's like, okay, we want to juice the market, you know, immediately before the election, people feel that the, they're richer, that means they're more favorable to the incumbent, and uh, and so we might see, you know, given how the polls are not doing well for the Democrats, we might very well see that play out here for uh, this November election in the midterms. I think there's a lot of. Uh, sensibility to that kind of thesis yeah 
So, I mean, from a straight political status, you could always look at it. Maybe there's even the pause play where they hit the pause button, you know, for essentially late Q3, all of Q4, get through the midterms and then be like, oh, you know, data is suggesting whatever, you know, weakness in here <laughs> or inflation. So we need to go back to fighting this problem. Yep, that could be. You never know. I don't know. Either way, all I personally care about is these dumb interest rates going up, hurting my real estate returns. Well, speaking of real estate, the uh, oh, new yeah. home sales was out this morning. And between uh, rising rates and rising prices, which is kind of crazy that those two things could go together, uh, home sales, new, new home sales from April compared to March are down 16% in terms of number of homes sold, uh, which is just mind-boggling to me. So, you know, it seems like the, the American home buyer is getting priced out or well, but there's also the flip side of that. The American home buyer is not selling to upgrade because why would they sell their house with their 3% mortgage to buy a house now with a 6% mortgage? That's true. I personally know three people that went from trying to buy a house to upgrade because they need more space to, you know what? Screw that. We'll make it work where we are. So that's yeah. the flip side of the uh, positive, I guess, on the supply side. But yeah, we kind of talked a minute about it in, before we went live. And um, again, this data was only for the state of Massachusetts. It was actually Walter that actually uh, had shown me the data. And back when we had the last real estate run up and obviously the top, we saw a slowdown in volume. And this was, uh, this was uh, for single family homes, uh, the data I was looking at. But Basically, the first time we saw a decrease in volume was 2005, and then six was lower, and then seven was lower, and then obviously eight was the lowest. So it was still like a three-year in advance before we kind of like bubbled out. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 2005. It might have been 2006 was the first smaller one, but if memory serves me, 05. So that was very interesting because so last year, so 2021 was the first decrease we've had since we basically have just seen an increase in volume since whatever it was like 2010, 2011. Um, so with that said, okay, volume, you know, salute. So probably this year, obviously it's going to slow down again. So that's year two. So, you know, does that play out the same where we see uh, a drawdown in the market come 2024, 2025, which is funny because that's honestly in my opinion, when people are talking about like, oh man, we're screwed, the markets, real estate market's gonna crash. I'm like, I agree that we'll see a pullback, but it. For, I'm like, first it needs to stop going up. Like prices are still going up. They've just yes. slowed down. I'm like, you first need to see prices stop going up. Then at that point, we can talk about maybe price prices going down. So like right now we're in the prices not going up phase. It's just started. So until we see prices not increasing, I'm not even worried about prices going down. Um, so, and then that takes, you know, a while. Real estate market is a big, slow moving ship. Yes. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see prices skyrocketing uh, from essentially now uh, all into next year. 
but that doesn't mean we're going to see this 20%, 30% drop in real estate prices. That drop is probably 2025. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the Case-Shiller 20 city index and it's still going up. I mean, last, last data is from February, so it's a couple months behind. Yeah. But uh, still rising. Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, you get everything is perspective. It's like kind of like what a, 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 like a, a growth stock, like a tech stock. It's just like, going up 20% every effing month, you know, their, their revenue increase is like 20, 30%. And it's like, you get to, and then you get to that point where you finally have the slowdown. It's like, Oh, you know, we only grew revenue by 5% and everyone freaks out. I'm like, Oh my God, it's the end of the world. And they sell the hell of the stock. It's like, they still made more money. <laughs> so everyone's like real estate's been going up at 15, 20% a clip for like years. It's like, no, that's not the norm. So yeah, we're going to, we'll, we'll stop going up. Then we'll go sideways. Then we'll see some kind of pullback. Yep. So we still have the not go up, which is, I guess, going to be this year possibly. And then next year, I guess maybe we'll be sideways. And then there we are going into 24, 2024, 2025. So you don't think it'll be accelerated by rates going up so quickly? You know, I, initially I did, but I also think rates going up so quickly has a, has a two-sided effect because it has that supply side issue as well. Like, yeah, it's going to, it's crushing demand already. Like someone that was looking at a, you know, $750,000 house is now looking at like a $550,000 house. Right. But also same thing, like, that person that was going to sell that $550,000 house to buy a seven fifty dollars ain't selling anymore because they don't want to lose that 3% mortgage. So we still have a supply demand issue. And the builders, think about it. The builders are behind the curve like years worth, right? Are they ramping up building right now? Like, no, they're already starting to pull back on that. Yeah, it starts with them. Yeah, so in singles, multi actually is the opposite. I don't know if you saw a multifamily... Um, permits and new starts was like at the second highest increase in like history. Yeah. You know, well, that's, there are always, you know, teeter totter kind yeah. of things between that. Cause very few people actually want to live in a multifamily. You know, most people, if they had the choice, give it the same money, take the single thing. I mean, I want to agree with you, but that's all they're building these days is multifamily. <laughs> well, that's because that there's that whole economic shift, right? Oh, you yeah. can't afford single family true true and they're playing to the investors who said yeah we'll, we'll put our capital to work in real estate and people will go work jobs and pay us you know, to live there. So, um, they're trying to organize and collect <laughs> yes uh, but uh but the interesting thing i think for crypto and for all of our leo stuff is that you know for the past Two weeks you know the 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 tech stocks have continued downward and bitcoin's been fighting bitcoin's been holding that 29 to 31 region holding strong i don't know about how strong but it's it's holding <laughs> it's well i mean it's it's crazy to see how it just bounces off the 29 but i mean we'll see i don't know uh, it's hard to imagine a world where bitcoin goes below 20k so i think that's where a lot of people are thinking yeah, well, I, you know, I said the same thing about 30, but you know, it's, 
No, 30, I thought was a very strong support, but I also saw scenarios, scenarios of it, you know, being able to go. Yeah. Going under like 20, that's just the, all right, I'm just going to go away for a couple of years and come back. But I'm a, I mean, but I'm a buyer I'm buying, um, you know, I, I was, like I said, I was lucky. I grabbed some of 26, five on that, uh, big wick back on the 12th. Um, but uh, I'm looking to buy, but I want to buy lower. So I might not get any more or I'm going to get a shit ton more because as soon as we see basically 24, like the 24 to 21 range, that's my buy range. And uh, I'll commit, I'm willing to commit capital that I know I may not access for a while. If I have, you know, I'll be happy being quote unquote stuck getting in at those prices. But yeah, it's yep. interesting. Um, I actually have to look. I want to look at the weekly chart to see what ended up happening. Oh yeah, look at that. So I talked. I last last post I did, which was like three or four days ago, <laughs> um, was talking about Bitcoin and the weekly and the monthly and how it was kind of like at this pivotal thing on those charts as well. And we kind of got like a reversal candle last week. Well, prior to last week, so we just had a week close, and I was like. Right now, there's still hope because if this candle can close above 30 and, you know, it's well above the prior week's low and it actually did. We got a late rally there. Um, the candle closed at 30,264 um, and, you know, kind of still holding that level. So far, we're down a little bit this week and now, you know, we're at 29 and change, but 29 is really the number for me because we have all those wicks below 30, but we're also at a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That like we're at a we might be at a new record for um, consecutive red weekly candles. So what is your what are your guys's bull, bear, um, and neutral case for for Bitcoin going forward? I just think looking at these charts, I think we're overdue for a bounce. Um, I think we, I would, I would, I would be very surprised if we don't bounce to at least like 34, 35. And then there's also a scenario where we bounce to, um, you know, up towards like 44, 45, but I don't see much more than that happening until I see a complete change in, in price action. And, and markets like kind of like just the overall vibe of the market. Uh, and then downside goes back to what I said. Um, I'm looking for, you know, 20 to 24 to be a buyer. I'm hoping for it. I tell people all the time, I'm like, oh, you know, when I see like normies, like, oh, how's crypto going? I'm like, awesome. Buying season just started. <laughs> and like, uh, they're like, yeah, I was like, yeah, bought some already. I'm like, I, I was like, I'm thinking it's going to go lower and I'm hoping it does. Like, I really hope it goes lower. Like, I want the opportunity to buy everything lower. I didn't buy any alts yet because I was like, if we get another leg, there's going to be a sick buying opportunity on everything from like Rune to Matic to, and so that's why I, I've just been able to on Bitcoin. I am super bearish on, on alts myself. But, uh, yeah. So one, one of the great lessons of the, the last cycle is that the ones from the previous cycle did not perform well. So I yes. think I think new alts will rise. To the, and, you know, so for, for the scenario we're in now, 
it's really just Bitcoin, Ethereum um, that's that's going to remain attractive to buy. But, um, yeah. but yes, so so okay, let's so that so that's your I guess short term short term cases that you got there. Let's say we hit July, we get this surprise announcement out of the Fed. They're saying, "Oh yeah, everything's good now. We're going back to to pumping out the bills, the Benjamins." You know, stock market turns around. What happens to to crypto then? Is that uh, a question for me to answer? I was multitasking. Much, yeah. <laughs> I was updating. I was updating the weekly when when soon when soon show post. All right. um, so yeah. so if we get a reversal out of the Fed in July, earlier okay. than expected, they say inflation's been cured, no problem, and you know we're gonna we're gonna juice the market up into the up into the elections. What happens to to crypto? Crypto goes up too. But how much? Oh, I don't know. I mean. If the market goes up, crypto goes up. Like this is why I'm rooting for a recession um, and a big nasty bear market in like in in all asset classes almost because I don't think we're going to see Bitcoin and crypto decouple from the stock market until we go through that experience. You need you need paradigm shifting things to happen for change to happen. That's just how we work as human beings. Um, and for crypto to be truly looked at as a quote unquote alternative investment to stocks and traditional, you know, assets. I, I think we need to see something like we need to go through the big nasty and then people, when the dust settles, like, all right, you know, how do I want to approach things going forward? What can I invest in? And it's like, all right, well, gold is not really my thing. So Bitcoin it is um, because you know how it is. People don't want to get back into stocks, ironically, when they should. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If they turn back on the printing press and start cutting rates and all that good stuff, um, and we see uh, a, a, like a summer rally, I could see Bitcoin getting to 54K. Actually, hold on, let me be more specific. Eh, more like 53 I don't see us going to all-time highs this year, regardless of what the Fed does. You think it's too much technical damage? Yes, and, and what the stock market does. I don't think, honestly, I'm not super bullish that if the Fed rolls back and, and gets dovish again, that that's going to create a sustained uptrend in the stock market. I think the stock market's still going to struggle. Like It just won't go down, but I think it's going to be more choppy battle So, but yeah, I don't see how Bitcoin is making it back to the all-time high in 2022. Well, how does that make me rich next week? Listen, <laughs> Neil, I feel you because this is how I feel with Cub. Too many eggs in one basket. When, when Vault twos, <laughs> when governance, <laughs> how do I get rich tomorrow? Cub moves. Oh big yeah, updates. big big cup updates. But uh, yeah, there's no get soon. Yes, soon, sooniverse. There's no get rich tomorrow with crypto right now. Yeah, I think right now we we've seen a big tightening on all markets. 
Um, so I guess the, the question is when, when does sentiment flip? Agreed. And that's the thing. Sentiment just flipped negative, I feel like, over the last couple of months. So I don't expect that to flip right back. Right. Because even when the stock market was down the first couple months of the year, every, all the normies were still super bullish and buying and, and like people were buying stocks. Yeah, it takes it's a not, while for the pain to seep in. And... Yeah. It hasn't been until like when I go play like uh, one of the parks I play ball at, there's a lot of older guys and, you know, they have, you know, stock portfolios and blah, 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 and play with the market. And, you know, it was like a month ago when the sentiment changed where they're all like, got killed in the market today. Yeah, everyone was a genius a few months ago. Up until a few months ago. Nowadays. It yep. is certainly interesting. All right. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear, but I guess that's probably more like reality. So basically, you didn't want to hear us agree with what you think? Yes. <laughs> I want to be wrong. You were like, tell me I'm wrong. Give me the rose-colored glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I wish I was... I, I want to be wrong. I do not feel like sitting through a bunch of pain again because I... Whatever. I personally didn't take enough advantage of the last year or two in crypto but i invested for the long term so i'm set up i guess the good thing about uh, if we do get a, a nice big pullback in crypto is that you know we have liquidity pools that we can deploy capital into exactly some yield so yeah. So uh, while you're waiting, gotta, those, those, you know, however long it takes for bull, bull season to come back. Yeah, I got an interesting question for you guys. So in the last market cycle, Bitcoin went to 20K. Then it then it obviously crashed pretty, pretty quickly from there, um, right around the end of, uh, what was that, the end of 17? Um, and then in 2018, we saw, you know, this massive boom bust on, on alts. So basically Bitcoin dominance at the end of 17, when it went to 20 K was like 68%. Then we saw a drop to 38% during that kind of boom cycle on, on alts. And then when the alt market crashed in, in late 2018 or like mid late 2018, Bitcoin dominance came back to 60%, eventually got to 70%. And Right now it's at 45%. So what do you guys think? If you had to, if you had to guess on where Bitcoin dominance is going to end up, say, say give like your average for the rest of the year, where do you think it's going to end up? I mean, I think it's going way higher as a flight to safety. I do think oh. it's going to go higher as well. I was just honestly like uh, sort of a sidebar with Bitcoin. I can't find a streak on the chart where we've had nine consecutive red weekly candles. There was, there was a thing where there was 12 uh, candles, but there was like a couple of green, like doji candles in between. So I don't know, maybe that's a streak, but I just, I can't find a weekly streak in the history of Bitcoin that has had this many consecutive, which is crazy. Cause honestly, I don't feel like this has been a ton of pain. 
I really don't. Because you're a veteran. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like immune to it. But uh, as far as Bitcoin dominance goes, you know, that's something I definitely look at. And it's been a hot minute since I've done a post on it. Um, you know, we're still, well, we've bumped up a little bit. So now we're about at the midpoint of the range that we've been stuck in since um, May 2021. So basically for a year now, we've been in this range from uh, 39% to uh, about 50%. So we're right in the middle. Uh, I was saying for a while that I expected us to, you know, make another run and get a bounce, uh, you know, and get back up to 48 uh, to 50%. So it looks like that might be happening. So the real question is when we push back up, when we get to, let's say 48, 49%, is that going to be, you know, where we see a swing back the other way, or are we going to push through? And I think if we do, I think really what it comes down to is what kind of market we're going to be in. If I see Bitcoin dominance push above 49, 50%, then I'm basically going to prepare to hibernate for the next year and a half, because that means the crypto market's probably going to also going to, it's going to be probably ugly. Um, if we can stay in this range, I think that is bullish for alts making a run sooner rather than later in terms of, you know, not having to wait, you know, to the run up for the next Bitcoin having event. Cause that's, 2024 right estimated so it would make sense this market market i feel like this market cycle is not very different than many others in regards to the bitcoin having so we shall see i'm hoping institutions are going to save the day since now they're about that crypto that's true you know i think it's uh, i think there's a strong possibility that the institutions break the four-year cycle um, yes just because they're they're moving so much money around relative to the size of you know bitcoin and crypto markets that, yeah uh, it'll overshadow the supply issue of uh, happening i agree at some point that you know it's like play the trend till it breaks that trend technically hasn't broken but i think it will at some point because you get a changing dynamic yeah so and I mean, shit, the irony is, I mean, we're only, you know, two big red candles away from essentially going back to that four-year average. So yep. it's doable. I'm just wondering when we see the next Michael Saylors come out of the woodwork. True. Well, he's uh, not quite the darling that he was a couple months ago. Wow. <laughs> So it's all good when number go up. That's true. <laughs> um, the challenge I would like to throw out to the community, and you know, Neil, you mentioned it um, earlier, and it's something I think we all, you know, have come to realize in recent, you know, re more recently, is that you know the alt darlings of the last bull market aren't going to be the alt darlings of the next bull market. You know, we saw that obviously between the prior two bull markets. So where do we, you know, where do you find those? How do we identify those? And obviously that takes re research and having your finger on the pulse of the market, you know, and I guess swimming in those sub, you know, 100 market cap type coins. Um, but obviously a team effort makes that way better. So, and this is part of why Leo finance does its thing, you know, people posting about cryptos they're looking at. So that's the challenge I put out to the whole community over the next, you know, really the rest of this year you know, identify, identifying up and coming cryptos that are going to be the next, you know, avalanche or the next phantom or um, because, 
we're not, you know, you're not getting 10 X to hundred X returns out of Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, you know, or even Solana or Avalanche for that case or Phantom. Um, but you will out of the quote unquote next competitor. So, yeah, well, that's what Leo Alpha is all about, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, kind of on that point, um, the community pages feature that we've talked about so many times is, is uh, hopefully going to be released like very soon. Um, and uh, essentially what we're doing is um, the first one's going to be Thorchain, but we can deploy, you know, hundreds or thousands of these pages. And, uh, you know, I, I think it would be cool to have a Leo Alpha page, which, uh, which will literally just be content that Leo Alpha um, digs up and says, you know, this is an interesting new project or uh, something like that. So it'll be like a leofinance.io slash Leo Alpha. Then you'll have like a whole page about exactly what you're talking about. So I think, uh, I do think the community pages feature is, a, is another killer feature that we're, that we're building yeah. that can onboard a lot of people. Yeah, the you uh, move from you move from onboarding one person at a time to onboarding entire communities and right. having the technology available for that. Yeah, that is uh, that is all to the good for the finance. But you know, to Cat's point, so you know the the 10x the 100x moves they come when there's a there's a macro cycle of of an uptrend. You know, so crypto's hot again, uh, and there is either a story or a use case that is glommed onto by the public, right? So, you know, if, if you know, 100,000 people come into a new thing, a new project, a new coin, whatever it is, that number goes up rapidly, right? But to find those, you have to find them before the, uh, those 100,000 people. Yes. And that happens during the bear market. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's hard though, because, well, I mean, and, you know, your hit rate's never going to be anywhere close to 100%. But, you know, you find, five or 10 really interesting things that are that people are working on and says oh well this this new thing solves this problem and if and when things turn around then it'll gain a lot of uh, a lot of attention um but that is uh, it's a lot of work uh uncovering all that so you know by distributing that amongst everybody in the community who's on the lookout for things then we can we can put together some interesting stuff over the next cycle Absolutely. And like, you make a good point. Yeah. The war, like it's super early to start looking, but that's like, this is the beginning of it. It's like you look during the bear markets. So, um, you know, we're early, early, early stages, but it's definitely, um, the beginning of the period to do so. And then, yeah, you're going to be hodling quote unquote for a while because they really get those big returns. Like you said, when you get the overall bull market and then, any kind of, you know, quote unquote, mass jumps on it. Yep. What, um, so the Leo Alpha, that's an existing account. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a, is, and it's going to be a community. It's going to be a community page. Yeah. And it's right now it's a account run by uh, JK6276. Oh. Uh, I'll drop it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, reblogging and curating. Um, and then also they, they, he's got a Twitter account for it. Let's see. I think, you know, the Leo alpha community, I think that really be a great value add, um, yeah. where the focus is basically, you know, people 
doing research that, you know, potentially creates alpha. Exactly. And it's like, it turns into a team effort. Yeah. And it's also good too, because that content will probably get curated very well uh, too. So. Yeah. I think the convergence of Leo mobile V1 uh, which will also have the community pages built into it um, where there's going to be like a communities tab and you can, you can flip through all the different pages. So that makes it, that makes it a fun way to open the app and just kind of read through, you know, let's say you want to read through ThorChain content you just go to the ThorChain community page and you see it all in there, or you want to read Leo alpha content. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think the, the combination of those two things is pretty, pretty crazy when it comes to onboarding. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be great to use the community pages feature to onboard, you know, entire communities like ThorChain onto Leo Finance and say, here's a good way to, you know, disseminate information about your project. Um, you know, there's already an existing community that's very highly engaged. Um, and then obviously you can bring your own community and, and populate that page which, with a bunch of info about ThorChain. Um, and then, you know, multiply that times a hundred and go out to all these different crypto projects of all different sizes and and onboard them, you know, one by one. And then you've got the combination of that with Leo mobile, which can onboard, you know, normies to, to read content. And, uh, it's kind of a self self-perpetuating thing where if you're onboarding normies to read content on Leo mobile, then your, your readership goes up, which, uh, in turn is makes the community pages feature a lot more attractive for different crypto projects. Cause you say, you know, we've got a reader base of, of 10,000 people that are highly engaged writing comments, uh, looking at content, and then it becomes a lot easier to onboard those community pages, which then bring in their communities, and then the readership goes up, and it, it just keeps feeding on itself. So um, these are these are two kind of key pieces of technology for me that I wanted to get done. It's getting a lot easier to build in the in the bear market too. So uh, I I've I've been waiting for this moment. I don't know about anybody else, but yeah, I've been uh, looking forward to this for a while. Indeed, great for building. Sucks for making money investing. <laughs> ah, All right, cat, cat's still not rich. <laughs> Keep messing it up. But I think that I think that wrap that roundup is a good, a good place to call it. Uh, yeah, I got a bounce. So that's uh, good. Thanks everybody for coming. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you guys. Uh, Indeed. Next week will be June, I think. Next week will be June. Uh, Bitcoin no, will be over 30K. It will not be June. It will be the last day of May. Right. Day before Bitcoin goes over 30K. Though. I only know because I'm doing, I'm doing a crypto workshop on June 1st, which is Wednesday. You Send go. your normies to my workshop. All right. 90, Sounds 90, like a plan. 97 bucks. They can learn all the things. All the things. <laughs> learn what the like NFTs that. are. And blockchains and lions and tigers and coins. <laughs> That's fun. All right, guys. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. Later.